Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Founder Friendly. I am your host, Sharanya Fogaku, and this episode is part of our Crypto Sprint, where Founder Friendly explores the nascent crypto and Web3 spaces and the people who are driving it through venture capital and startups. Today, we are so excited to have Clay Robbins from Slow Ventures on the episode. Clay is the crypto principal at Slow Ventures, a generalist VC fund with investments in various industries. Specifically, Slow invests at the center of technology and at the edges of science, society, and culture, and provides curious founders with the resources, connections, experiences, and empathy needed to build strong companies. Clay is in charge of investments within the crypto space and has previous experience at Square, now known as Block, and Zero X. So welcome, Clay, to Founder Friendly, and we are so excited to have you here. How are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, So I guess we can just dive right into it. Um, And to start off, obviously, you are an investor specifically in crypto, which, like we mentioned, is a nascent industry that's still in its early stages and growing quite rapidly. So could you give us an overview of where you personally think the industry is at currently in terms of in interesting sectors that you're looking at right now and spaces that you believe would be the most impactful or interesting for the future? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so I, th- I think to understand where we are today, uh, I think we need to first understand where we came from. Um, and thinking back to sort of the, the early innings of capital formation, um, and fundraising in crypto, it, it really started um, around 2016, 2017 um, with the launch of Ethereum, um, which was the first sort of general compute blockchain, um, whereas Bitcoin really is the, the slow, dumb, yet resilient censorship resistant layer that, that essentially allows for a store of value to exist um, on, on the internet for the first time. Um, but Ethereum really came into its own um, in the context of what were called initial coin offerings or ICOs, where anyone with you know a reasonable idea that that um, uh, was looking to build on chain um, could essentially put out a uh, an address that people could contribute to um, with with either Ethereum or Bitcoin, um, and uh, they could build a startup overnight, raise tens of millions of dollars, um, and execute on a vision and you know, in in the early days of of that um, wave, it, there was a lot of commentary around how this could prospectively be the end of venture capital as we know it, because there was no cap table, there was no equity structure, um, and essentially these companies were going public um, first uh, and then building second, uh, which is which is an interesting inversion of the model. Um, and and over that time, essentially what we saw was. Um, one, a lot of um, you know froth and uh, and um, maybe malinvestment uh, and, and outright scams that, that occurred. But uh, in that process as well, too, there are a number of um, small kernels of, of value that were created. Um, one of which obviously was the the Ethereum chain itself, um, but also uh, a number of initial primitives that that essentially allowed for capital markets um, uh, and and finance to exist on a decentralized uh, general purpose blockchain for the first time. Um, and, and through that, I think um, what, what uh, founders eventually found was like, it's great to be able to raise, um, you know, from anyone on the internet, anywhere in the world. But one, there's, especially for US citizens, um, a, a lot of uh, regulatory scrutiny that comes along with that. Um, and so, um, eventually, the pendulum kind of shifted back towards 
um, traditional equity structures. And so from ICOs, um, there were kind of two new fundraising variants that were created. One was a SAFT, a simple agreement for future tokens, which allows for um, any uh, any uh, project to launch a token um, to accredited investors, so a limited set of um, qualified uh, uh, investors that that have sort of passed the minimum threshold in the U.S. for um, you know being able to take these these types of risks. Um, and then um, more recently, a hybrid structure of what's called a, a safe with a token warrant, where essentially in lieu of launching a token from sort of the first time. Uh, 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 or, or the initial uh, launch of, of, of the network, um, it sort of kicks the can down the road and also creates an equity structure. Um, and so that uh, that vehicle or those two vehicles really have allowed for venture capital to find avenues into investing um, into Web3 and, and crypto in earnest. Um, and that's only continued uh, uh, to date. And you know, we've seen the largest allocation of capital to the space um, in in uh, since since the creation of Bitcoin just in in 2021. I don't think that that's going to slow down much. Um, and so uh, I say that to say, you know, capital markets have matured. Um, the substrate upon which a lot of these applications and infrastructure and, and equity-based companies can be built has matured. And so now, you know, we we have um, sort of all of the foundational elements that allow for builders to. Um, build things in, in a relatively uh, uh, structured and 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 uh, you know risk-adjusted way, um, and and in terms of trends that that have started to emerge, I think that you know I really grew up in in the world of of decentralized finance, where any sort of financial primitive that exists in traditional markets today, whether it's um, exchange lending and borrowing, um, derivatives, peer-to-peer payments, etc., um, is now being created uh, on, on chain for the first time, and that has a lot of um, benefits to it. One is um, efficiency. Um, you know, you mentioned that I, I started my career at Square, and and payments is is fraught with a bunch of glorified toll booths that exist, essentially exist to extract arbitrary fees for providing a reasonably commodity service. Um, and with these types of services built on chain now, um, there's this massive benefit to um, both users um, and um, and uh, and and also. Um, uh, uh, global markets in terms of, of the number of folks that can use these services at a much, much lower cost. Um, the other, other interesting element of it, too, is um, it, it affords developers a, a massive amount of leverage um, in terms of how, uh, how um, organizations can exist in a really efficient manner in terms of um, if you look at the OPEX for banks, for example, today, um, the, the one line item that continues to grow is the human capital that has to be contributed to things like compliance and operations. Um, and with um, Ethereum and, and other layer one chains where these, these decentralized finance protocols can exist, all of those rules that are normally involve a human in the loop are now instantiated in code. Um, and so what you see is um, a lot of protocols that, that are built today that are facilitating exchange and, and, and lending and borrowing markets and the like um, exist with maybe 10 or 15 people, um, as opposed to, you know, the tens of thousands of people that work at the Chases and Bank of Americas of the world. Um, and so that, that trend is something that I don't think is going away and is only going to continue to make inroads um, uh, into the applications that we use uh, every day as, as both consumers and businesses. Um, and then I think a second uh, piece that, that I'm really excited about, um, and again, this is sort of following the trend of digitization where, you know, rules can be instantiated in code, um, is DAOs. Um, so DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations. And, and really the way to think about it is um, any uh, type of organization that exists today, whether it's a C-Corp, an LLC, um, a, a co-op, 
um, can be created uh, on chain um, and, and essentially functions as in the simplest form, like a bunch of friends with uh, a group text and a joint bank account where they can buy uh, anything from on-chain assets like NFTs to collectively, you know, using it to buy uh, a car or whatever it is, um, all the way through to, you know, multinational corporations that have thousands and thousands of members that are all contributing um, to the, the um, growth of a productive organization. Um, and so that as sort of a generalized substrate is something that I think is going to be really powerful in one form uh, a, a lot of development um, in, in the way that uh, folks and, 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 and uh, corporations organize. Um, and, and also, um, I think it will also continue to contribute to the growing trend of sort of a global workforce that is remote in nature, um, all sort of contributing to, uh, to a productive organization. So that's something that I'm spending a lot of my time on over, over the last few months. Yeah, no, all of that sounds great. And thank you so much for explaining like the history and going through all of that information. Um, one thing that I'm particularly interested about is like how you mentioned how companies in like the space, they do their ICO first and then they build or, you know, with DAOs, they're funding their own projects and, and you know, DeFi is also just getting rid of the middleman in, in crypto in general. So I'm just wondering, like, do you find it contradicting to be a VC within the crypto space when like this, I guess, revolution of like DeFi and like taking out the middleman is happening? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, and and it's one that, you know, especially coming from operating at, at one of these organizations for a, a number of years, um, it, it, I've asked myself uh, a lot. But I think that um, venture in crypto actually does play a, a role in a couple of different ways. Um, one is, you know, I mentioned this sort of hybrid structure of um, a, a safe or a, an equity vehicle with a token warrant. Um, and what that enables uh, founders is a couple of things. One is air cover um, in the context of um, launching a token is sort of a one-way street that has a lot of um, heavy implications um, in terms of uh, as soon as the token is launched, if the mechanics that are associated with it aren't well thought out, um, then you run the risk of um, essentially having this thing out in the universe that will exist in perpetuity because it's issued on chain um, and and, man and um, having to manage that uh, internally at the organization is a massive cognitive burden um, where essentially you have shareholders that exist uh, out out in the out in the universe that you're you know basically trying to keep happy while still trying to build you know what essentially amounts to you know a, a seed stage product um, and so this hybrid structure I think one, allows you to align yourself with long-term focused, less sort of speculative oriented investors that can help with building an organization and driving distribution. Um, and then when it comes time to launch a token, which, you know, don't get me wrong, I think it's a powerful mechanic um, a mechanism for um, one, you know, driving user acquisition to creating incentive structures um, within networks um, that, that drive growth and, and things like liquidity bootstrapping. Um, but but to do that first, I, I think it's important to drive distribution. The the only exception to that rule, I think, uh, honestly, is when um, either the the uh, core functionality or the security of a network that's being launched um, has a token as sort of a prerequisite for that to work um, from day one. Um, and, but you know, the examples of those are are starting to become fewer and further between, and so. Um, I think that the role of venture capital uh, in crypto will, will continue to exist insofar as um, it being you know, essentially a, a safe space for founders to have that, that latitude to 
um, experiment, drive distribution, and, and build a product that that um, will really benefit from the sort of rollout of a token as an accelerant if, if they choose to go that path. Yeah, okay. No, that totally makes a lot of sell sense. And I think even just like thinking realistically, like VC will definitely be around for a long, long time, even from now. Um, so that does make a lot of sense. And another thing that I was wondering about is like, like you said, when you're investing in these companies, like specifically with tokens, they have to be well thought out. Um, so I would guess I was just wondering what other criteria kind of goes into investing in these types of companies and into protocols in terms of like both the token and just in general as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that with the the equity plus warrant structure, um, you know, it it does allow for, again, that that um, that room to, you know, build that over time in, in terms of the, the perspective on what the right mechanics are for how the token will function. Um, and, and so that becomes less and less important, especially in the, the world that I live in around sort of the pre-seed and seed stage world. Um, and so for us, you know, when we look at um, prospective projects and, and, and teams and companies to invest in around the ecosystem, um, it really comes down to, to the individuals that are going to build this thing from start, um, uh, which, you know, takes a lot of different variants. I think one really important sort of asset test that we look at is um, what do these individuals come from uh, wh or where do they come from in the context of background um, that, that may suggest that they uh, will, you know, succeed in creating um, this, you know, either decentralized network or product that serves um, uh, Web3 in, in some form. And so, so that is probably... 50 to 60 percent of the uh, of the, the discussion, and then I think the other uh, half or, or 40 percent is um, is around just the the merits of the idea. Like, is this something that is like a Web 2 product that's shoehorning in a token? Uh, in, in which case, you know, that's probably not the the best route to take and and doing sort of Web 3 for Web 3 sake um, versus something that really, you know, from a from a fundamental standpoint makes sense to exist only in, in the context of uh, a decentralized network or, or, or decentralized organization. So I would say that, you know, it, there are a number of other sort of long tail things that we think about, but those are sort of the two big buckets that, that we talk about most, you know, as a, as a partnership. And, and obviously when, when we're having conversations with founders around uh, prospectively investing. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense, especially considering how early stage investing, a lot of it is at the end of the day, the founder. So it makes sense that it continues to be like that, even in crypto. And then I guess to shift gears a little bit, um, I'd also just love to hear about how you specifically got started with crypto yourself and how you came to be a principal at Slow. Yeah, um, so so my career trajectory has you know, been interesting uh, in, in a lot of different ways. And I feel very fortunate um, for, for a number of reasons. But um, I think, you know, Starting at Square um, was was interesting insofar as one, um, it was sort of a, a mid growth stage company that um, you know allowed for a 22, 23 year old fresh out of college to have the latitude to have you know some material responsibility. Um, and I also think too that that the the company culture in those days, where it was you know a couple hundred employees, um, really promoted internal transfers and and um, and you know. It, experimenting in terms of roles that you wanted to take in your career. And so um, I use that as sort of a license to use it as a professional playground. Um, and, and through that, I got to meet a lot of really interesting folks across the, the company. Um, 
And in those early days, there was a small, but obviously, you know, especially with with what um, Blocks is doing, uh, Blocks is doing today, um, a, a growing contingent of folks that were excited about um, uh, Bitcoin at the time, and then and then sh- shortly thereafter, Ethereum. Um, and it's not, you know, terribly surprising um, to see that because a lot of us day to day were dealing with the card networks and the banks and sort of those those middlemen and, and, and glorified toll booths that, um, you know, we're extracting arbitrary fees for, for no reason. And, and really, you know, putting the, the uh, burden of that cost on small businesses that we were working to serve. Um, and so through that and, and sort of the community that, that was um, uh, growing internally, it's where I, I became really interested in, um, in crypto and in the ecosystem. And so, you know, I was fortunate to be in San Francisco at the time. And so would go to meetups on sort of nights and weekends uh, in and around the city when, uh, real world and, and, and live events were, were still a thing um, and uh, got again to, to get further and further into um, uh, networks around around crypto. Um, and then, you know, eventually it kind of got to the point where Square had grown um, pretty considerably. Um, and I was sort of at a, at a stage in my career where um, I wanted to be a bit more risk on. Um, and so I left uh, to join Xerox Labs, which, as you, as you mentioned, is, um, is, is sort of the second stop in, in, in my career. Um, and essentially, like the reason I joined was uh, crypto in those days, and, and it still is this way, um, was a really technical uh, uh, industry. Um, and so it was really hard for someone that you know, it's not an engineer, though I do my best to keep up um, to, to find a role that made sense. And um, with ZeroX, they, they're essentially creating, you know, what amounts to Stripe for exchange functionality. So any developer anywhere in the world can build an application that requires exchange, which many crypto, crypto applications do. Um, ZeroX was sort of an easy way to drop that in with just a few lines of code. And so there's like a business to be had there. It wasn't this sort of amorphous, decentralized, general purpose network. It was sort of, it, it had sort of something tactile that, that I could, could latch on to. And so joined there um, and over time, over three years sort of grew the company and, and the team, um, which was really interesting to see one, like how different it was and a lot of the things that I took for granted in terms of the structure that existed at Square at the time um, and how basically an organization sort of uh, has to be reset every 10 people that joins. And so that was that was another kind of interesting insight there. But um, I think, you know, as with with my journey from Square to, to ZeroX, um, what I did on nights and weekends sort of informed what I was going to do next. And so um, at the time, I was doing uh, a, a lot of work just on on my own in terms of investing my own personal capital as an angel, um, working with uh, other crypto uh, uh, operators to form um, groups that that would sort of um, combine our own personal capital to invest in early stage companies. Um, and through that really built a, 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 an exciting sort of portfolio of, of early stage teams that, that I was um uh, really, really uh, excited to work with. Um, and that eventually opened up the door to, to going to work in venture full time um, at, at Slow. And so, um, yeah, I, the, the way that I sort of uh, found it there was that there's a, a woman named Jill Carlson, um, now Jill Gunter, she, she recently got married, um, that, that was working there as, a, as a, a crypto principal alongside Sam Lesson, who I still work with today on all things crypto. Um, and she and I, um, you know, got to talking and I sort of was talking about next steps in my career. And really, I wanted to take a step to back and be able to zoom out across the entire crypto ecosystem as opposed to focusing on sort of one small kernel of it. Um, and, and so that led me to the decision to, to leave, to, to join Slow. And, and since then, it's really been been awesome um, it, and different in a lot of ways, right? It's kind of like going from, you know, I, I played sports my whole life. It's like going from being the player to being the coach. Um, and, and uh, you know, though, though we say to founders all the time that like, you know, 
100 to 105% of enterprise value is created by the founders. And so like the role of coach really is kind of a, uh, said tongue in cheek um, in, in this case. But uh, yeah, that's a bit about my sort of career trajectory, my journey and, and sort of what led me to slow today. Yeah, and I love that analogy. And I think that's a really inspiring story, um, especially because a lot of our listeners are like NYU students who might still be trying to figure out what they want to do, who might be interested in like um, the crypto space, the Web3 space. So I guess like on that note, um, do you have any advice for students who might be trying to break into the space, um, both on like the technical side and on the non-technical side? And I guess, how do you see, like, how do you think students should be thinking about a potential career in the space, like in the next maybe five to 10 years? Yeah. Um, on the technical side, it's actually pretty easy. And so far as, you know, crypto really grew up as uh, with, with open source uh, software principles as like a defining mechanic of, of the community um, and, and the ecosystem. And so with that, there are tons and tons of hackathons that are hosted across the world. Um, either by uh, organizations like ETH Global, um, Solana, which is another layer one chain, um, is, has launched recently launched its hacker houses, um, that, and they run uh, global online hackathons as well too. So you know the, the barrier to entry in terms of of participating really is is as easy as you know clicking sign up on on one of these online hackathons or being able to attend one in person. So that's like the easiest way to to begin uh, uh, sort of experimenting, and from there too, you know. That's where you can start to get up the curve on, um, you know, languages that are specific to um, uh, building in crypto. So things like Solidity for Ethereum, Rust, which is a general purpose language, but the one that really defines um, code, uh, uh, coding and, and contribution to um, Solana. And so, um, yeah, the technical routes are pretty well defined and, and the sort of um, appetite for talent from organizations that that. Um, are hiring for the uh, for for uh, technical uh, contributors, engineers, and the like is is pretty uh, high in the current market. Um, so that's one. And then on the non-technical side, um, I think it's still uh, yet to be defined, like the clearest path. Um, I think the the one thing trend that's sort of defining the world today is there is a lot of flow from sort of large uh, Web two corporations into crypto, and so these are folks that you know have um, experienced what you know similar to the way that an engineer would experience sort of building uh, 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 high quality uh, uh, production code um, for a large organization are moving over. Similarly, folks that have um, launched products, built out go-to-market plans, run business development organizations, um, or, or been product managers um, at, at you know the Facebooks and the Googles and the Apples of the world are now flowing into crypto. And so that's like one gateway is, you know, go and build sort of a foundational base um, at, at one of these organizations. And then you will have a highly translatable skill set to any crypto startup or really any, you know, large now, you know, there's a number of unicorns and, and growth stage companies um, uh, in, in crypto. And so so those those uh, pipelines for talent are obviously um, uh, becoming more robust. So you can even start there. Um, I would say too, like, especially for folks that maybe not so much on sort of the soft business skill side, but the design side, you know, again, hackathons are another great way to participate where, you know, uh, crypto still suffers greatly from, you know, really crummy user experiences. And, and there's a lot of improvements still to be had around design. And so, um, you know, designers, again, teaming up with folks at hackathons, that's that's another really easy way to, to create an entry point. But yeah, I would say that uh, the, the last thing I would, uh, you know, recommend to anyone 
uh, whether technical or non-technical, is to use products uh, in crypto. So, you know, download your MetaMask or Phantom Wallet, go and, you know, swap a couple of tokens back and forth on a decentralized exchange, maybe lend out some stable coins on, uh, on, on a lending protocol or buy an NFT. You know, these sort of things kind of let you feel the um, pain points uh, from a user experience standpoint and also get to understand sort of the core concepts that are really specific to um, building and, and, uh, and creating products and organizations in crypto. Yeah, and that's great advice. I know I'll definitely be thinking about that going forward. Um, but I think that's all the time that we have today. So I did want to say thank you so much, Clay, for speaking with us today and for giving all of our listeners insight into what it takes to invest in crypto companies and your perspectives of the space. Um, and before we wrap up, I'd love to just open up the floor for you if you have anything that you want to conclude with or emphasize to our listeners before the episode ends. Yeah, no, I think I said a lot of it in, in the, the the last answer that I had, which is just build an, an experiment because, you know, you, you never know which direction it'll take you. So um, always, always take a flyer on that. And, and um, you know, you'll you never know sort of what what sort of return that'll have. Um, and then I think the last thing, too, is, you know, um, a lot of the core sort of centering points for the crypto community are on Twitter. Um, so uh, if you can at all, sort of get involved in, in there and, and um, follow folks that um, you think you can learn from. And, you know, there are a number of different people. I'm one of them out there that, that has, you know, highly curated the, the, the list of folks that, that I follow and learn from every day. And so um, I think that that would be maybe the last recommendation I would make in terms of finding entry points into the ecosystem. Yeah, sounds great. Well, thank you so much again, Clay, for speaking with us at Founder Friendly. And to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thank you for tuning in. And we're excited to see you again next time on Founder Friendly. Thank you.